a good near Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. Um, we're, we're so happy when we came back last Shabbos to see a wonderful Oilam in Shul enjoying uh, the regular Shabbos. Um, just unfortunately uh, or fortunately, uh, the rabbi and the rebbitzin will not be here this Shabbos. So this Arab Shabbos drush will um, be my representation for the Shabbos. And uh, Amir Tzashem will be back in the saddle uh, right after the weekend. Um, today, when you listen to this, it will be Rosh Chodesh Eor. Rosh Chodesh Eor is Friday and Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Eor always begins the third week of Sphira. By the way, everybody should know that Friday, this Arab Shabbos, everyone is allowed to take a haircut, no matter what part of the Sphira you keep. So that's one of the famous questions that's asked, and to know that everyone can take a haircut and a shave. The uh, So what is so special about Rosh Chodesh Eor? Well, Rosh Chodesh Eor, historically, uh, in the uh, second year after the Jews left Egypt, on Rosh Chodesh Eor, Hashem instructed Moshe to count the Bnei Yisrael. And Rashi explains that since the Bnei Yisrael are precious before Hashem, Hashem counts them constantly. He counted them when they left Egypt, number one. Number two, he counted them after the sin of the golden calf to see how many were left. And on this Rosh Chodesh Eor, when Hashem had already rested the Shekhinah upon them the month before, he counted them again. And that's what Rashi concludes. On Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the Mishkan was erected, and subsequently, one month later, on Rosh Chodesh Eor, they were counted. So therefore, Rosh Chodesh Eor forever has a special nature that Hashem counted us then. And the first question we need to ask is, why did Hashem wait an entire month before counting them? The Mishkan came up on the first of uh, Nisan, so count them the second. Now, since this counting was related to the Mishkan, that's what Rashi says, that Hashem already rested the Shekhinah, so why wasn't it done earlier? So to understand this, we have to have a little bit of analysis of the three types of senses. Okay, and you'll notice something very interesting. When the Jews left Mitzrayim, the Torah says the Jews comprised approximately 600,000 Jewish men. However, the Torah does not specify who did the counting. And in fact, it's unclear if an actual census even took place. Or if the Pasuk is merely just saying that Hashem knew there were 600,000 people. It's just telling us a fact. So we know no details of any census. The second census, which was mentioned in the beginning of Parsha's Kisisa, clearly the Torah says was done through Moshe. And though it was done to see how many survivors there were, as Rashi says, but it wasn't done immediately after the sin of the golden calf, but instead, as Rashi says, it was done after Yom Kippur, once Hashem commanded the Jews to build the Mishkan. And the reason for the delay is simple, because the second census, again, as the others are to demonstrate the preciousness of the Jewish people, so could not have done immediately after the Cheta Egel when that element was not yet visible. Instead, it was done after Yom Kippur when Hashem forgave the Jewish people completely, as we see from the fact that then he instructed them to build the Mishkan. 
The third census was also related to the Mishkan, but it was done after the Mishkan was already erected. And moreover, unlike the second census, which was done only by Moshe, this one, Aaron and the tribal leaders participated as well. So now what is the significance behind these three differences? Number one was done when the Jewish people went out. We have no idea who did the census. Number two, after the Jews were forgiven from the golden calf, it's Moshe doing the count. And number three, a month after the Mishkan is up, Moshe, Aaron, and the princes are doing this. What is the message here? So says Lubavitch Rebbe, a tremendous insight. And the first thing we have to understand is, what's the deeper meaning of counting? Why do you have to count anyone? Especially the Jews. Why do we have to count them? So what do we do with that count? What does it do for us? And what is the essence of counting? Generally, people um, ascribe value to people by what they accomplish and what type of personalities they are. And people have, you know, subjectively analyzed other people and say, oh, this person's a very important person. This guy's not so important. Yeah, for an example, when the Jewish people lost the Battle of Ai, it says 36 people died. Chazal said it was really only one person. It was Yar ben Menashe, who was equal to a majority of the Sanhedrin, which was equal to 36 people. So, without any official census, we could tend to um, have a uh, differences in society where some people feel more important than others. So the Torah does not w- want to have that idea. And therefore, the, the, Torah, the Torah tells us that when we count Jews, no matter how great, rich, smart, righteous you are, you count as one And if you're poor, wicked, not so well developed morally, you're also counted as one. The greatest individual is no more than one and the lowliest person is no less than one. The best example of this would be if you have nine gedole hador, most righteous people in the world. They do not have a minion. They cannot say Kaddish Baruch. Comes in a... A, 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 a very low, ignorant Jew. Hmm. You believe in God? Yep. Number 10. That's the point. Nine great individuals do not make 10. But one lowly Jew can help make it 10. Now the question is, why is that so? And the answer is, every Jew is comprised of two dimensions. There are the details that make up the person's character and the extent of his academic skills, the extent of how he's developed his emotions and so on. And there can be differences between Jews and that. But then there's a point that's called, and this is the term you should remember, called the nekudas hayahadus or nekudat hayahadut. The point of his Jewishness. The fact that he's a Jew. In this regard, all Jews are created equal. Every Jew is a chelak elokamimal. Every Jew is a portion of God on high. And that's the purpose of the counting, to reveal this essential core of Jewishness and bring it out and to realize every Jew has this. Now you have a choice what to do with it. But there's no such thing to say, I'm I'm, I'm not a, a worthy Jew. No, you count as one as much as another Jew counts as one because you all have that inner core, that indestructible core of Yahadus of Yiddishkeit. Now, 
The Rebbe continues and says, this concept of revealing this Nekuda Sayadus can be done in one of three ways, corresponding to the three censuses of the Jewish people when they left Mitzrayim, when they were instructed to build a Mishkan, and the month after it was erected. Let's briefly explain each one of the three. When the Jews left Mitzrayim, what drew them out of Mitzrayim? They were drawn after Hashem, and they didn't make any calculations going out on the desert, not knowing about any provisions. They just followed God into the barren desert. They were not motivated by any intellectual reasoning or any other factor. So what was it? It was a result of their pure faith in Hashem that emanated from that Nekudas Hayadus. Now, if a Jew connects to Hashem, for example, with his outer dimensions, meaning the details that form his spiritual character, which could be very good or not so good, but it's still, by definition, the limitation will be limited. Why? Because he's a created being, and a created being, by its very definition, is limited. That's the external part of the Jew. But in Kairos, the Neshama, which is an actual portion of Hashem, is unlimited. And when that element is revealed, a Jew is drawn after Hashem in a way that is beyond the confines of logic. And that's what Chazal means, that the Jews left Mitzrayim in the merit of Amuna. And as we know, when we say Mitzrayim, it's not just the geographical place, but it's the Mitzrayim, the limitations. So what does that mean? A Jew can leave his limitations in the merit of Amuna. And lumdus and reasoning, however great they could be, cannot get you out of your limitations because they're part of who you are. A person cannot leave his limitations because a person is limited. And if he wants to leave those boundaries, it's only through something that's outside of that. That's his amuna, because amuna is unlimited. It's an expression of the neshama and the divinity that's within the person shining out. And that's the idea of the first counting to reveal this inner depth in which all Jews are equal. But we're far from the end of that. That's not enough. It's a good start. And obviously, though, once this amuna shines within him, within us, but it doesn't change who the person is. Why? The Balatani explains that even the lowest of the lowest Jew has pure faith in Hashem, at least in his day. And he demonstrates the fact that the lowest Jew will still give his life up for Kiddush Hashem. But let's think about it. Even when he sacrifices his life, he himself hasn't changed. He hasn't suddenly evolved from being the lowest of the low to a God-fearing Jew. He remains the lowest of the low. He possesses all the negative character traits he always had. It's just that the higher force, his neshama, has been kindled and it was awakening him inside himself the feeling that he'll never go against his identity as a Jew. But the details of the character remain the same. And that what happened when the Jews left Mitzrayim. Although the Neshama was awakened to follow Hashem without any calculations, but the Gemara says there's Zohama, the taint that we have still from first man that were overwhelmed by the physical desires did not cease from us until we got the Torah. So the negative aspects of their identity were still there as before. Okay? So therefore we need a second census. The second census was told that once we were instructed to build the Mishkan, that was an instruction to work on themselves so that the Shekhinah would v'shachanti b'solcham. The Shekhinah would dwell inside of every Jew internally. 
And that was the purpose of the second counting, to show that every Jew is equal in another area, to bring the unlimited depth of that Nekudas Hayadus into the details of their existence, not just for a one-off to kill yourself or to go out to Egypt. Because we see they really didn't change that much even after they got the Torah because they sinned with the golden calf. But yet they'd have to overcome that and work on themselves and do tshuva. And therefore the census was done through Moshe, who is called mystically the Raya Mehema, which we explain as the truthful shepherd. And the shepherd feeds us with, let's say a shepherd feeds sheep, he feeds us with amuna. Our natural amuna may be abstract, you know, even a thief, Davin Sashem, to help him commit the theft. But Moshe takes our Amuna and internalizes. Moshe has the meat of Das. He internalizes it within us so that it will affect our actual character. And that's what happened with the second counting. That Moshe helped us, not only that the Hashem's, the divinity within ourselves is shining, but now is really activated within ourselves. Ah. But still, we're not done. There still needs to be a third census. This took place after the Jews built the Mishkan. And not only were the Jews told to bring the Shekhinah into the details of their existence as when they built the Mishkan, but now you have a Mishkan and a month's worth of experience. And the Torah is telling us after a month, they actually did so. They worked on it for an entire month. And here comes the subtle but critical change that happened in that month. And that's the subtle change that we hope to accomplish in this month. It's possible for the neshama to illuminate a person's intellect and emotions, and not in an abstract way, but internally. But you can still sense that your faculties are being influenced by something beyond you. In other words, they haven't changed on their own accord, but it's been uh, imposed or persuaded or whatever you want to say. But that's coming from top down. It's not theoretic. You really are into it and you're doing it, but it's still coming from Hashem. It's not internally driven. And the ultimate goal is a person should refine his seichel and from the bottom up so that they themselves have changed. And this was the point of the third counting. To reveal the Nekudas Hayahadus in such a way that the details of our character are themselves transformed. Not affected, but transformed. And we become the sources of this. It's not that, you know, we Hashem, uh, we've, we've allowed Hashem, not just in theory, but in our lives. And we feel this connection to Hashem. But it's not self-driven. We're, we're like the junior partner. No, we're going to be an equal partner. We're going to take that and, and acquire. It's going to be part of us. And that's why we needed Aaron to be part of the third census. The Zohar says that Moshe was called the Shushbina de Malka, the escort of the, of the king, representing the chassan at a wedding. And Aaron is the Shushbina de Matrunisa, the escort of the queen, B'nai Yisrael. What does that mean? Moshe assisted in drawing down the Shekhinah from above, that second census, while well, Aaron assists in elevating B'nai Yisrael from below. And Aaron accomplishes that a Jew's self-transformation should not just be the result of a higher force, but the achievement of the person himself.
And that really is what the three stages of Sphira are about. Starts with Seder night. Hashem took us out of Egypt. Wonderful. That first day we don't count Sphira. All of us trying to relive history. We all were taken out of the Metzorim. The boundaries that we were all shackled in. And how did we do that? Pesach night. We just got all the Muna. We did the Seder. We showed our Amun and Hashem. Hashem lit our, lit our souls up. And then we really counted and our Nakuda Sayadus came out on that beautiful Pesach night. Now, what happened for the next, finishing up now the next 17 days, we know the Gematria of 49, 49 days of Sphira is Lev Tov, good heart, a good heart. Lev is 32, Tov is 17. So what we're trying, what we what we try to accomplish in this first third of the sphera is the tov, the good. The good. That now we're trying to allow Hashem to impact on us. Hashem is impacting upon us. We're receiving from Hashem. We're changing. But until now, it's coming from above. Now, as we come to Rosh Chodesh. Eeyore, the work now is to make it come from below. We now have to internalize it to the point that it's not, okay, Hashem is telling me I'm going to do it and I will live that way and I will see change in myself, but they're more externally driven. It has to shift now to be internally driven. That's the Avoda starting Rosh Chodesh till we come to Shvuos. To, to totally be able to say, this is who I really am. And that is the greatest source of self-worth and self-identity. And that takes work. It doesn't happen by itself. You have to be an active creator within yourself. And it's something that is there. It's not you have to, you have to make something happen that never happened. It's there, but it's deep, deep, deep. You got to bring it out, got to bring it out, got to bring it out. That's the, that's the very challenging avoda that we have and we can't be distracted from it that's why we don't have weddings all kinds of things we don't focus so much on the physical during sphera but it's so precious to realize that i've got this nakudas hayadus that just doesn't just flare up once in a while when i get inspired and it's not something that only hashem is putting it inside of me and i'm willing to take what hashem gives me but no i'm not just a, t- a receiver i'm a giver and I've developed all the seven qualities. It's not just I do these behaviors, but I am those behaviors. I, I, I now have emboldened chesed. I am a chesed machine because I drive chesed. Not I just do it because it's a nice thing to do and I think it's nice. But I'm a, a source of chesed. I'm a source of gur. I'm a source of tifers. Let me share with you and close with an interesting story that happened long ago in the city of Berdichev. There lived a man who was struggling to eke out a meager living to support his family. And this man had all these great aspirations and repeatedly told his wife he wanted to go to Leipzig, a nearby city, to seek his fortune. But his wife resisted. She says, what's going to be with me and the children? It's bad enough we're starving, but if you leave, we'll also be abandoned. How can you expect me to support these two children if you're gone? But one day, the man came home with good news. He says, I've been hired by 
Baruchovich to represent his interest in Leipzig. He'll pay me very well. And every Friday you're to report to his office to receive my salary. And I must leave immediately since he's negotiating several major deals right now. Wow. The wife, being assured of more than an adequate income, she helped her husband pack his things and soon he was on his way to the city. That Friday, she comes to Baruchovich's office, as instructed, gave the cashier her husband's name and the cashier was perplexed. The cashier says, we don't have any employee by that name. And the woman told the cashier that her husband had been hired by Baruchovich just that week to represent his interests in Leipzig. The cashier checked the records again and again and told the woman, no, you're mistaken. There's no record of anyone by that name on the payroll. All of a sudden, the woman realized suddenly that her husband had deceived her. Her worst fears had come true. She was now alone and destitute. And she began to weep bitterly. Now, Barakovich was working in the office right by. He heard the crime, came out to investigate. The cashier explained how the woman had been duped by her husband. And Barakovich said, Oh, for, God, for heaven's sake, it totally slipped my mind to inform you, he said to the cashier. He turned to the woman and said, Yes, your husband told you the truth. My agent in Leipzig died. I hired your husband. But so many things happened this week, I forgot to tell the cashier, yes, you're to come every Friday for this pay. Okay, good. Guess there was a mistake in understanding. He forgot, so okay. So a year goes on. Every week, the wife goes. She gets to pay every week. Amazing. A year later, the husband, which never really was hired by Barachovich, but guess what? He struck it rich in Leipzig. He was successful. And now finally he can come to Berdichev with adequate funds to establish himself in business. And certainly he was expecting to find his family destitute, his wife and children hungry and in rags. And he expected to really get a shower of curses from his wife. But he hoped she'd ultimately forgive him for the deception because now he could amply provide for his family. Can imagine how shocked he was when he saw that his wife and children were well-dressed in good health and they embraced him. So after a bit, he cautiously got the story from his wife and learned that Baruchovich had covered the money. So now he's trying to put two and two together. The wife thinks the deal really happened. But did it really happen? The man knows he didn't. The man knows he left his wife and made up the whole story. So now he's wondering, why did Barakovich pay for his wife? Well, a few days later, this uh, poor man, who now has money, he calculated all that he owed to Barakovich, and he went to pay his debt. He said, I know what really, me and you really know what happened, and I really wasn't doing your interests. So here's the money I owe because he's got enough money to pay. And listen to Baruchovich's response. He didn't take the money and he said, I was happy to support your family and I will not sell the happiness this brought me for money. Now you need to know a little more. Baruchovich was a notorious cheapskate. So what do you see from this story? 
It shows how he changed his character over the course of his life. How? Through the very acts of kindness that he struggled with. I think it's a beautiful story. The story is telling us that this is the third level of the Nikudas Hayadus. Yes, you could have a wealthy man who really doesn't give, and let's say there's a real big tragedy. So, okay, once you decide to give, you're just carried away by the moment, but you really don't change. Or maybe you can feel forced to change, but here nobody forced him. He could have said, sorry, ma'am, I don't. I never hired your husband. Okay, I feel sorry, I'll give you some money. Or at least he would have said, when Baruchovich came back, okay, now I take the money. But he, but he had already reached this level. And this is when you know you've hit the third level. To say, I was happy to support your family. I will not sell the happiness that's brought me for money. If it's top down, you're willing to sell that happiness. If it's bottom up, that's an intrinsic happiness. That the money, you understood how to use the money. Shem should help us as we now move into the large part of the sphera. Or after the Shabbos, everyone will be holding Sphira. We're all together going to hold Sphira. And we all now know that this Shabbos, even though Moshe and Aaron are not around, but we should know that we all have this opportunity to really realize how much I'm equal to another Jew. And there's levels of equality. There's the base level that everybody has, no matter what you do. And of course... God forbid, if we'd have to give up our lives, I think we all would give up our lives. But that's a one-off. That doesn't mean we changed. And there's some of us that are changing because we're so impacted from Hashem. That doesn't mean it's who we really are feeling we are. I will do as I am, but I might not feel. The real goal is to feel this way. And therefore, when you do acts of kindness that you know are right, it's not because I've guilted into feeling I should do it and I'll do it and I'll do it for a long time and this and that, but to be happy. That's the point. Do you have simcha? Because not, it's not that I'm just doing kindness. I am kindness. And that's what all the sphere is about. Chesed, I am kindness. Gvur, I am control. Tiferes, I am mercy. And I'm a combination of kindness and control. And then there's no stress. So wish us all an amazing Shabbos. We'll have an amazing Kiddush. And we'll have amazing um, uh, substitutes. And we'll all see you, Mirza Hashem, uh, Monday night as we'll be back in Toronto. Have a great Erev Shabbos. Zai Gesund and be well.